80 fucking 8 million fucking Americans are on Adderall. Can you fucking believe that? How come we're getting no calls? Is the line not working? Welcome to the Mouthpiece. Today, we have a special guest. Episode 11, year one, with Real Kid Poker, Mr. Daniel Negreanu. We have a lot to talk about. We talk a lot about putting our, our past behind us. And uh, really a great, great interview. So listen up for part one of my interview with Real Kid Poker, Daniel Negreanu. Welcome to the Mouthpiece. Episode 11, part one. Today, we are going to talk about my day yesterday oh what a day it was um well it was up and down i got in a big fight with my brother uh i was kind of upset about that but then i got to go to the phil helm youth roast and that put me in a really good mood it was fun watching everybody roast Phil Hamid. Phil called me three days ago, and he said, uh, I can't believe you're not invited to my roast. And I'm like, me neither. And so I uh, didn't have anything written down. I would have had, you know me, I would have had about five pages of things to roast Phil Hamid on. So I kind of went up there and tried my best to roast him a little bit but I ended up saying too many good things about him because he has been there for me a lot and I uh, appreciate that so he got so lucky that I was a late invite at it started at five and I got the invite at 5 30 so uh every all the roasters were done roasting but one and i walk in and they're like okay you're up next uh let me see can you put a couple more people before me anybody so i can at least hear how to roast somebody i mean uh, i've never been to a roast uh but i know you make fun of somebody and you know phil there's five gazillion trillion things to make fun of them Anyways, I don't really talk too much today because we do have an amazing interview with a Hall of Famer and ambassador of poker at Real Kid Poker, Daniel Negreanu, coming up. Also, don't forget, if you haven't bought a piece of me yet to any of my packages, go to youstake.com. I've sold a lot of them out. I don't know how many are left, but check them out. And I'm going to work hard this year. I'm selling 50% of myself in all the 10Ks. So with that in mind, get ready for my friend, Daniel Negreanu. Coming up next on The Mouthpiece. The Mouthpiece. If you'd like to take part in our phone call segment, you can give us a call at 702-329-0480. And if you're a snowflake or a pussy and you don't want to talk to me, you can email me at mouthpiecepodcast at gmail.com. Also, follow me at the Mouth Mattiso on Twitter for times that our call-in segment will be live. It's World Series week here on the Mouthpiece. Let's hear what our phone conversations have to say. Let's light up the lines. Welcome to the Mouthpiece. This is Mike. Hey, Mike. Love the show. Got a quick question for you. What do you think about people staking poker players? Which site is the best? What is your name? Jamie. Jamie. Okay. So... Basically, in the poker world, um, a lot of people don't realize that probably 50% of the poker players are being staked. Uh, tournament poker is a big variance, and 
So people don't like the variance using their their own money. They'd rather play for 50% and have people that mm-hmm. have a lot of money that uh, yep. to cut the variance. Like I've, I've literally before gone through like a million dollars straight in buy-ins uh, when I was playing the higher games and uh, in makeup and I, I ended up winners. But, you know, even even going through two, three hundred thousand straight is is a lot on anybody. So, you know, the, I, right. I, I'm a big fan of, of people who get stakes that uh, are winning players. I'm uh, not a big fan of people that reach out to try and get stake that are losing players. But, you know, what it is what it is. And uh-huh. uh, I uh, I got some packages up on you stake right now. Um, there's yeah. also stake kings. Um, I uh, go with you stake because uh, Phil Hollmuth owns a piece of it, and uh, I do him a favor by putting my stuff on there. So that's okay. pretty much all I can say with that. But yeah. I appreciate the call. And anything else you'd like to yeah. ask? Love, love your show, dude. You Fucking do? That's what I want to hear, man. I'm spreading the word, too. Trust me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for calling. All and right. we will talk to you All soon, right. man. Take care. All talk right. to you later. Bye. Welcome to the mouthpiece. This is Mike. Hey, Mike. What's going on, buddy? How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Just chilling. Just hanging out at the beach. What's your name? My name is Bernard. You're at the beach. I'm working. All right. All right. Any questions you got Mike, for me? Before any questions, I just want to say, Mike, you're awesome. You're an awesome poker player, and I, I, I want to say from the from the uh, from the bottom of my heart that you're one of one of the best poker players to me out of all the elite in the in the legends. I feel like you should be in the Hall of Fame pretty soon. I'm hoping this year. I'm rooting for you. Thanks, man. I'm I a poker you. player myself. I've been playing for about 15 years now. I'll be playing in the Big Fifty. Oh. Uh, I'll be playing in the Big 50 also on day, the last day, because I'm playing the Omaha 8 or better on Thursday. And uh, hopefully I win that because it's my best event, or at least get to day three. Uh, If not, so I'll be playing, if I get knocked out on day two or one, then I'll be playing day two and three of the Big 50, taking a couple bullets on each day. Uh, And if not, uh, then I'm off to the next one. You know, so if you see me, Say hi. I'll be in a scooter rolling around about 15 miles an hour, running people over with a camera in my hand. (laughs) All right, my man. Thanks for calling. Take care. All right. Hey, uh, Mike, one last thing. Yeah. Just to just to let you know, I'm a true fan. I remember one time the WSOP. There's a lot of moments that you did. But one 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 thing that was funny to me that you did was remember when the planters peanut guy was around uh, in the in the mess? Yeah, I talked to Victor, when, you, when, when I attacked him. I got in so much trouble for yeah, that. Yeah, that was funny though. That was- Dude, it was funny. I didn't think I would get in so much trouble for it. Dude, the, the planters guy wanted to kill me. He like was like, <laughs> "Dude, I'll kill you." I was like just having fun, and man, I got in so much trouble. I'm lucky I didn't get kicked out. Oh, that was the, those were the days. That was 2006. I was having a bad day of the main event, so I was trying to make make people laugh by attacking him. Oh God, that's so funny you brought that up. All right, my man. Thank you so much. Okay, for calling. Mike. I'll Take see care. you there soon. I'll look for you. You got it. Later. Peace, bro. The mouthpiece. This is Phil Helmuth Jr., 15-time world champion of poker, and you're listening to the mouthpiece. Welcome to the Mouthpiece. Today's guest, Mr. Daniel Negrani. How's it going, Daniel? I'm doing good, buddy. Just uh, excited to have this interesting conversation we're going to have today. Oh, this is this is something that I've just been waiting three years in the making. So, um, as you know me, I try my best to leave my heart on the table and I get emotional and uh, I try and do the right things. When the things went down between us, it pretty much devastated me. I'm not going to lie. I take 100% full responsibility for what happened between us. It's nobody else's fault but mine. I've told that to you many times, but I, I just want you on the record to to understand that. 
with that in mind, there's a lot of things that kind of happened along the way. After I had originally borrowed that money from you, I went to LA, I made like 75,000. I then went to Bay 101 uh, and on a drive back, I had this horrific attack, like I was having some kind of um, appendicitis or something. I didn't know what it was, we pulled over the road, I was screaming, whatever. The attack started like three times a week and they were debilitating, it was called intercostal neuralgia. I went to the World Series that year, shouldn't have played. I was using pain patches to stop the the pain or whatever. I went through like 100,000 World Series 2015. I was then bedridden until January of 2016 in which I had 65,000 left. I ran it up to 200,000. Uh, then you had called me about getting the money back. I then went into panic mode, said, oh my God, I can't give Danny 150 right now, and then I only have, you know, even though I know you would have understood, but thinking of a gambler's state of mind and my state of mind, I I went into panic mode, played for three straight days, blew 200,000, left myself dead fucking broke, borrowed 120,000 from my parents. I then was told by this piece of shit criminal who was my partner in WPT Deep Stacks that we were selling the business. Originally said we were selling it for four million. I said, that's unbelievable. He then calls me, it's gonna be less than four million. It's gonna be around two. Then if you'll remember the, the day of the Access Hollywood tapes and me and you were going at it politically and all that crazy shit or whatever, I then call my tax attorney and I just to do my taxes and I said, oh, I heard the company's being sold. And she's like, well, you're not getting any part of the company. I go, what? I go, I own 13% of Deep Stacks Poker Tour or whatever. And she hangs up on me, right? And then I go to try and call this criminal piece of shit and he's not answering his phone. Then he calls me back and he says, Oh, oh, she misunderstood. Of course you own 13%. He goes, unfortunately, we're selling the company for less than two million, but more than a million. I said, so a million and a half? And he says, yeah. I said, oh, that's great. So then I could pay Daniel 13% of 1.5 million is, uh, let's see, 180,000. You owe me 50. This, uh, another partner owed me 25. Anyway, it came to 265,000. I said, okay, sell it. I go, this way I'm completely, that's when I, I don't know if you remember, I texted you, uh, the company's being sold and you'll get the money, whatever. Come uh, January, he started an LLC, instead of Deep Stacks Poker Tour, he started something called Deep Stacks Entertainment and he siphoned all the money into Deep Stacks Entertainment and ends up paying me 44,000 in two installments of 26,000 and 18,000. And that is the reason why I didn't have your money at the time, but I still take full responsibility for all the other mistakes I made. But somehow, some way, and you have a lot of pull in the poker world, this motherfucker got a executive position with the World Poker Tour in which he now makes 260000 a year running WBT Deep Stacks. So he figured, well, I'll just sell for dirt cheap. I'll make my 260000 I was making getting half with the WPT. And, and sure enough, he fucked me. So we've talked about this a million times. I wanted to get that off my chest and then move on to our interview. All right, well, I want to chime in because first of all, I want to say mm-hmm. that Okay, but there's more. There's more to the story that we want. We need to share here. I want to say first and foremost that I appreciate you taking 100 percent responsibility. Mm-hmm. I forgive you. I know you were in a bad spot and did mm-hmm. really dumb shit, but I, I think it's best if we tell the other side of it too. Because right. when you came to my house, like you came to my house and you, you know you were in, you were in bad shape. Yes, and, I did. You know you were you were at a low point. And you didn't have a lot of spots, so you right. asked me for 150 thousand. Correct. And I was concerned about giving you that much because I mean I didn't really know where you were at mentally and. Right. You're not going to be able to pay back or anything like that. And it is and a I lot of money. Right? I could tell. So, yes. so I thought about it for a minute and I was like, okay, well, and then you mentioned that you had like 230 or 250,000 in equity right. in your house. Right. So I thought to myself, okay, well, what about 
me helping Mike out in such a way where I protect myself. Right. So what I offered was, I said, I'll give you the money, but you got to sign a promissory note right. that if within, within a year, you know, you couldn't pay it back, we'll get rid of the house, right. and then, you know, you'll get you'll get the rest, I'll get my money back with 5% right. interest, okay? Yep. So, so that's what I, I thought we were all covered and cool. We got were. the money. So, so then, you know, so then it was like a year, the World Series was around, and it was like a few months after, you know, the World, and then I sort of just texted you and was like, Mike, I think it's, you know, probably time for us to divvy up the house. Mm -hmm. And at that point is when you told me, you said too late. And I, what do you mean? What do you mean too late? And then you told me that you'd already sold the house mm -hmm. and used the money. So what I was upset with was, listen, I understand going broke and being right, right. I get it. Right. But like, I wish you would have when it occurred. And I know you said you called me, mm -hmm. but you know, I never answered the phone right. ever. So I yeah. wish you would have texted me to say when you were at that breaking point where you're like, shit, I need to sell this house cause I'm out of money Right. to just trust that you could tell me that. And like, I would have figured it out. It was just, right. it, was, it was upsetting to me. It should be. To, because I feel like I protected myself. Like I mean, I do have the mm -hmm. promissory note. Like right. I could theoretically sue, but what's right. the point? I'm not right. going to do that. Right. Um, I'm just going to root for you and hope that you, you know, get back on your feet. But mm -hmm. my biggest, what really got me was the fact that, you know, you you did it without telling me. Right. You know, I take full responsibility. Like I said, I was trying to tell you, but we were our political stuff started getting really ugly and one thing snowballed to another and it's listen i am 100 percent responsible but we were at a complete breaking point in our relationship because you know with everything politics everything and from the bottom of my heart and you've known this for three years no matter how much hatred we had towards each other i would always say daniel i love you I respect you. I nobody helped me out when I needed help. Here I go. I knew I'd cry. <laughs> nobody helped me out when when I needed help. So no matter how much people would try and tear you down to me, I would always say, "No. You're not I don't give a shit what you say. You're not going to tear Daniel down. He was the only one that was there to help me and I fucked up." And that's how I always felt, and that's why I always continued to try and reach out my hardest because I felt horrible. I, you know, I, I could understand you calling me a thief. I don't blame you. You don't, you know, like if I was you, I would think I was a thief too, you know, but I really, from the bottom of my heart, thought I had it covered, and I got fucked by this guy but if i didn't fuck up i call it the worst day of my life the day in february of 2016 the day that i turned 65,000 into 200,000 and then for some reason when i got stuck 30,000 in the game i just played for three straight fucking days and you you've seen what hap what happens to that when i do that so yeah. you know i wanted to well, put let me this just say listen let me just say you're forgiven thank you right buddy. i understand you did something stupid now the debt isn't. <laughs> oh, the fun. debt's getting paid this <laughs> summer, buddy. Don't you worry. The debt is fucking getting paid this summer. So how is your mental state with your your? It, are you, how's your equilibrium with your cocktail that you're on? It's incredible. Feeling stable. I've been, been stable for a while now. Yes, and my head is very very clear. Things are great. The podcast has been beyond amazing. We've been doing it two months, uh, and then I started. Uh, the video. Speaking of the videos, what do you think of my video? It's funny. You got you got me laughing. It was good. That's kind of what I was hoping. You know, I didn't want to offend you in any ways. I wanted it to be come across kind of really funny. And knowing you for so many years and knowing your personality, I, I said, "Oh, he's gonna he's gonna find it really really funny." I'm not gonna lie. I was uh, that the night of your wedding. I was pretty depressed. But when you texted me in the morning it was probably the best text I ever got. And it made me feel really good. I just want you to know that. I gotta stop getting emotional. Let's, uh... <laughs> How's married life? Married life's awesome, dude. I mean, she's already been living with me for a few months. Since right. probably October, November, something like that. So, uh, you know, not a lot changes. You know, it's like same scenario, same sort of setup. Of but uh, just kind of bliss, and we're both living in that glow of, Mm -hmm. You know, knowing we finally got it done. And we were all super, you know, thankful and happy with the way that the wedding went. 
mm-hmm. it was a good time and uh, people Pitch. seemed to have a really good time. So, yeah, I mean, uh, and she's like, I'm coming to the World Series, so it's not like we're doing honeymoon right now. We're going to do honeymoon at some point, but right. it'll be much after the World Series. She gets it. She knows the World Series grind, and she wants me to win probably just as much as I do. Right. I was on the phone this morning with my girlfriend's mother. She'd been out of town now for two weeks. This is the biggest break we've had apart from each other. And I told her mother, you know, and I miss her. And it's kind of weird, but you know when your relationship is good, your head is good. Poker players, they need their heads need to be clear. If things are fucked up, it's almost impossible to play well. I mean, you, am I, you agree? Well, I think it's true, not not only relationships, but just in general, if your life is out of balance, right. it's much more difficult to focus if you've got other issues, whether it's, mm-hmm. like you said, relationship, health, you know, other drama that's going on in your life. Yeah, and I would have to say my health, pain-wise, has improved almost 80%, and they said if you get more than 60%, you're lucky. So I feel blessed, you know? But um, let's talk about why you left poker stars well listen man 12 years is a long run you know we had a mm-hmm. good run and there was like uh you know i, I leave the company with fond memories mm-hmm. um you know I, a lot of really good people that put a lot of effort into like you know the, the products you know the promotions and all that kind of stuff and you know 12 years is just like really it's as simple as that like 12 years a long run you know got married you know here with amanda staying mm-hmm. in uh, vegas we're doing this world series poker grind so all in all, you know, like I said, I have no ill will, and I, I think the feeling is mutual. It was an amicable split, and uh, it's pretty much all there is to it, really. Right. But, I mean, like me and Phil were talking the other day, and, you know, I, I don't, I'll never say anything to him now that we're on great terms like we used to be. I wouldn't say behind your back or whatever. So he's like, I just don't understand. Why, why would Daniel leave the money he was making there? I mean, he didn't really have to do much. And I said, that's a good question. You know, I'd like to ask him. Yeah, I mean, listen, money, you know this. Right. Well, on anyone, Mike. Right. Like, money isn't money isn't the source of happiness. It is sure isn't. No, it isn't. Okay. So, 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 like, listen, I've done pretty well in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, financially, you know, Amanda and I were in good shape. Mm-hmm. So my decisions are not based off of, like, okay, well, well am I going to do this? Because if I don't want to because of money. And that's you. That's very, very rarely going to be the case because, mm-hmm. like I said, you know, when we were twenty or thirty in our twenties and thirties, we grinded and grinded and grinded in the hopes right. that we could be financially stable. Right. You know, I've gotten to that point, so it allows me to, you know, be freed up to make more decisions that aren't solely based on okay, like a salary of some kind. It's very true. And partly, I'm kind of, I'm really looking forward. I'm genuinely looking forward to what's potentially happening in the United States. The mm-hmm. direction things are going seems to be like a really, really good time, as you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. You know, with a lot of laws changing in terms of the sports betting world and right. um, a lot of companies that are going to want to come into this environment and uh, spend some dough. So, yeah. you know, you know, I, I'm not looking to do anything, you know, or I'm not not looking to do anything necessarily, but opportunity exists um, in oh, yeah. ma- many forms. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, I don't who knows? Who knows? I have no idea what the future holds right now. Right now, my focus is World Series of Poker mm-hmm. and, you know, grind that every day and just do my best. You're right. You know, that's what, you know, I, so, so many mistakes I've made in my life. I look back, you know, uh, when you had full contact poker sold and the UIG, U, Unlawful Internet Gaming Act comes through and fuck cost you like 18 million back in 2006. Or whatever. No, you're wrong. More? You're wrong. It didn't cost me 18 million. No More? way. More? Are you me? More? 160. <laughs> How much? 160? Huh? Did you say once? Yeah, that was my second. That was my second home run. You don't know about the first one. Before oh Poker God. Stars existed, right. I knew Isai Scheinberg from Toronto, and we used to play poker in underground clubs and things mm-hmm. like that. And I started to make my, a name for myself a little bit in, in Vegas. And he called me one day. I was at the airport on my way to a trip. And, you know, this is when Ultimate Bet was around, and, mm-hmm. you know, we thought we were going to do stuff with them and whatnot. And he calls me out of the blue, and he's like, listen, I'm starting this new poker site. <laughs> called, and I want to know if you'd be interested as consultant. I'll give you 3%. People said like, you know, 400 million or something ridiculous like that. And of course, I told him, I was like, ah, nah, I'm good. And I know. So I I ended up uh, not working with them at that point. And then I ended up never doing a deal. Like I never, I never took a penny from Ultimate Bet. I never had any affiliation. I was working towards a relationship with them. 
But for me, the moment that changed was the moment that I found out that Ross Hamilton had a piece. I swear to you, mm-hmm. all my, I, I literally was going to go ahead with them. When I heard Russ was involved as an owner, I got the heebie-jeebies because, you know, he, has, he already had an ep- a reputation as kind of a hustler and yeah. different types of things. I didn't know what he was capable of, that he would go into God mode and cheat everybody out of millions of dollars. But <laughs> I, I knew that, like, I was uncomfortable about being in business with him if he was at a high level within the company. So I never ended up doing anything with them. And I'll tell you what, with Brian Ballsblog, my agent stuff, like people don't realize how much due diligence we do mm-hmm. before we align with a company. Yeah, like, we don't just go, oh, here's a patch. You want 20000 I'm like, uh, hold on. <laughs> we need weeks to make sure that you guys are not screwing anybody because you know all you have in this, is your, in, in this business is your reputation, right? Absolutely. Like if you, if you work for a company and that company screws a bunch of people and you didn't do your due diligence, who, they come at you, even though you had yeah. nothing to do with it, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, you know, the whole S&E thing with PokerStars, I was doing my best to try to convince them not to do it in that moment and to delay it a year. Mm-hmm. Like, and, but of course, everyone's, you know, when that happens, people look at me and go, ah, oh, you screwed mm-hmm. us. I'm like, it wasn't me. I yeah. understand why you would, you know, have that affiliation because I'm, you know, the face of the brand, for, mm-hmm. you know, for lack of a better term. But, you know, that decision was something I never defended. And I was, I wish, mm-hmm. I like the idea of getting rid of the program, but not in the way that they did it once it was already prompt. Because I don't think, a program that gives high volume winners a bigger piece of the reward pie makes sense. I've always right. believed you want a good game, make sure that the losing players in your game are getting taken care of one way or the other. I agree. And if you do that, pros will come and they'll get the money in the end. So the actual shift I was all for. The way that it happened, no. But the point of it is, as you know, when you align with a company, what they do, if they make a big mistake, you have to be very cognizant of the fact that some people are going to come at you. And you saw this happen with Phil. You saw this happen with a lot of the people at Full Tilt. Who, right. You know, they didn't know what's going on. A lot of guys are just, you know, they invested, put their money in, and all of a sudden, it's a shit show. It wasn't their fault, but people still come at them with pitchforks, which is, you know, the way the world works. Yeah. You know, I told my the story on my very first podcast, and it involved you. I said we were in, it was, we were in Austria, uh, this is uh, 2010, in like September 2010, and I said there were like this dungeon restaurant, like one of the most expensive restaurants in Austria, and it's like all the owners, me, Patrick, and Tony, whatever, the whole group, everybody, and I, everybody got quiet for me, and I go, I just, I just want to ask you something. I said, and this, this is because I remember you said this to me. I said, Daniel Negreanu says that you guys are illegally processing money under false names. Fuck Daniel doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just full of <laughs> shit. Da, 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 da. And then I said, Daniel Negreanu says, you guys took players' money to advertise so heavily to complete with poker stars. Is that true? And... I swear to God on my fucking life. Ray Bittar says, that was true when we first started. Yes, we did. But all those accounts have already been replenished. So everything you told me was fucking all true. And the sick You want to know what's frustrating about that? So Mm -hmm. here's the thing. What people don't know, way back when, Mm -hmm. like Esai sent letters to those guys to Mm -hmm. let them know that the practice that they were engaged in which was essentially like what you said, you know, credit card purchase right, right, right. was going to full tilt, but what they were, they were, they were disguising them as like buying jewelry or, right. you know, flower shop, right. things like that. Yeah. And so they were changing the codes on them to get them through the processors so that people could get their money in and out of the site. Now right. there was a lot of legal, legal issues with that. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't seem to think so. You know, Esai had, we, we, within PokerStars, we have like a whole building or we had anyway, mm-hmm. a whole building of lawyers who like, you know, dissect this stuff. Right. So when, when Esai said that, you know, they, they obviously Full Tilt was much more comfortable living in the gray, mm-hmm. you know, dipping into player funds. They were not segregated, which is a scary thing for me. When which again, they lied. Funds, they lied. I brought it up. I mean, you end up being feeling liable. Like if I represent, right. like whenever I do something, I do it big and people look to me as, as being somebody who, you know, has integrity for the most part. And, uh, well, at least, I mean, most people do. People that don't know me may not, but, um, but, uh, you know, when you do that, you have to, like, think to yourself, okay, if this company screws people out of millions of dollars, I'm ruined, you know? Yeah. Like, I'm done, even though, even though it might be completely out of my plan. I think, like, you look at guys like, 
you know, Phil Ivey and John Juwanda and a lot of the guys that were not involved in decision-making whatsoever. Right. But, man, like, they got they, – how embarrassing. Like, Phil, that year, skipped the World Series of Poker because he didn't feel comfortable, you know, playing in these events when, you know, people are – their bankrolls are, are dried up and they're not there. So, like, yeah. I think people need to realize, like, two parts. When you're a sponsored pro, you don't have as nearly as much say or input as you think. Having said that, when you sign on as a sponsored pro, you are agreeing to trust this company to a certain degree mm -hmm. to do the right thing by people. You know, and if that ceases to be the case or if anything like that comes up, then you just simply have to do your best you can to, to make it right by people. You know, I remember when they were saying, like, Phil Ivey tried to scam us. He put this whole thing up. Blah, blah, and they and blaming him. And I didn't know what was going on. And like a fucking idiot, I took originally their side and um I, it took like a year and a half later before me and phil had a talk and i apologized you know for not hearing his side which was wrong of me um that was just a shit yeah well let's thought. talk about his side so yeah and this was very frustrating to a lot of people because there was right. a rift as you know within the within, within the owner base right. that they wanted a resolution well phil brought a guy on right. board who and i know the guy and i've met with him and i've had dinner with him so, i heard this you know, guy was a was fake is that true? I know him. I I had dinner with him last mm -hmm. summer right. uh, here in Vegas. Like so I know he, the guy. They're lying. He wasn't a fake. He wasn't a fake person at all. Okay. Now their concern was this. Okay. They put they put their concerns about their piece ahead of the players getting paid back in this one way. They believed or they thought that Phil was bringing in this guy to somehow get a bigger piece or to keep a piece of the pie, or whatever the case may be. Right. And even if that were true, even if that's sort of like, you know, oh my God, that's shit. Even if that were true, who gives a shit if this guy pays the money? No if shit. If this guy's willing to play, you at this point, when you're struggling, when you have a, a catastrophe on your hands like they did, mm -hmm. you literally do anything you can. If anyone says, I got the money, you say, okay, when can we get it? You know, like the fact that they wouldn't even like really take meetings with the guy or, you know, have any sort of good faith looks into his uh, you know, fiduciary situation, whether he could afford it or not. They, you know, Howard um, took it upon himself to go a different route. And I'll tell you what, I've, Howard came to my house I mean, two years ago, maybe. Yeah, I remember. We talked for two hours. And a uh, much more humble version of Howard Letterer than he was at the peak, and he admitted that. You know, <laughs> yeah. He sort of got too big for his britches, and he realized you know, he made a big mistake, and a lot of mistakes were made, and all those kinds of things. Like, I do believe, okay, what people can hate on this, I do believe that Howard thought in his mind when that was going on, that he was doing the best he possibly could for the company and the players. I genuinely I do say too. that with and this is a guy that me and him were not friends. Right. We're not buddies. We you know, guys used to hate each words. other. Yeah. So yeah. I believe so, if so you I'm feel that way that, I felt that I know way too. enough about him. I know enough about him to know that he's not you know, he wasn't trying to scam people at that point. No. There were some things that happened that were completely un un unacceptable as far as I was concerned. Mm -hmm. They continue to once they knew that they were, you know, they didn't have player funds and mm -hmm. stuff shut down. They continued to run the site in the hopes of like creating some revenue to pay back players. So yeah. those people that were depositing after the fact, they knew those deposits were dead on arrival. Well, the it's sick, the sick part fun. was is is all they had to do is once they knew they were having problems with the processor, is not take disbursements for six months and everything would have been fine. I went to London like two days after Black Friday and we're to go film this uh, uh, late night poker in Europe, whatever. And I'll never forget this. Like, we're waiting to film. I go, well, what are we waiting for? They go, the funds. I go, well, what's the funds? And they go, 1.8 million. I'm like, 1.8 million? The company was dropping two and a half million a day. I'm like, how could they not have 1.8 million? I thought I thought it was a joke. I mean, literally, I thought it was, I thought they were joking, and then they end up, I guess, getting half. We filmed half. I left town, went back to Vegas, and the next thing I know, I heard from like Seidel and a couple other people they canceled the rest of the filming because the check bounced, and I was just like, oh my god, this is a complete catastrophe. So. It's a good segue in a sense because what I really one of the things I really wanted to talk about with you mm -hmm. just for those that that bought pieces, uh, you know, I, I decided to create for fun this year low, medium, and high packages for fans at no markup. Yes, let's talk so about it was that. Really small maximum so that like everyone would get a chance to get in. Right, that's awesome. Dude. And so we put together, you know, I had my team of people. We talked to the software developers and said, I told them, I said, Are you sure the website 
can handle the kind of bandwidth that's going to happen when these packages release. Mm -hmm. They double-checked, they triple-checked, they tested it. Everything went smoothly. Uh, apparently, you know, because this was two days ago or so, when, when, it, when we went, the site completely crashed, right? Which is, you know, that happens. It happens when there's too much bandwidth. Not the end of the world, okay? Right. We worked towards a new server. When they build this new server, so they had to build a completely new server, and apparently there was a glitch within it that they could not have foreseen somehow. Because I mean, I asked them again. I said, if we run this again in 24 hours, are we good? Right. So we we open it up. Some people are having issues getting in because of the traffic. It's like they're getting to the confirmation page, and it says like Gateway 502. You know, right. you're, you're you're not going to be able to get in or whatever like that. But ultimately, like people were able to to get in. Can and as far as we knew, we we were tracking it. We were tracking it, and we were looking. And we we're like, okay, at about. 30 minutes in, we'd sold all the packages as far as we knew, okay? Because mm -hmm. that's, that's what our database was showing. That's what our site was showing that at about the 30-minute mark, said out of stock, out of stock, out of stock. Well, apparently, the software program glitch put me in a really bad spot. Yeah, somebody, was, somebody wrote me a, we, like one of, a thing yeah, well, that let said— Yeah, well, let me explain it. I'll explain it. So essentially, we were selling $270,000 of this package, right? Wow. Within, within, well, that sold out within two minutes, wow. within two minutes. And then it went for about 20, 30 more minutes. We ended up bringing in $1.8 million oh my in, God. in people wanting a piece, which adds up to about $100,000 in financial transaction fees. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I obviously now, now like, I'm like, what, what the fuck happened? Right. Like, and they, they couldn't believe it. My poor dev guys like, you know, in tears because, you know, you oh. can't believe what's going on. So now I have to think to myself, all right, like, what is the responsible way to handle this, right? So as soon right. as we found out, I sent out a tweet letting people know, like, we've got a problem, like a big problem. I'm not going to – whatever the sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 in transaction fees, I'm going to cover it if need be. Like, I'm not going to screw people. But unfortunately, luckily, we were, when we were in the software, we were able to tell when the cap hit. So everyone passed that. We, we issued refunds. I had my team of people work till 5 a.m. Like, they started at – around 5 p.m. They worked like 10, 12 hours manually transferring refunds to those people that got um, pulled back. And I spent the entire day while they were doing that on Twitter, literally answering virtually every single yeah, person I saw, that had I saw a problem. That. Like, I get it. I mean, people are upset. I understand. Like, they're not nearly as upset as me. Nobody right. could possibly be more frustrated than I am because all I was trying to do was like a really good thing. Yeah. You know, and in the end, I'm kind of like the one left holding the bag. The good news is there's a silver lining. First of all, the community has been so incredibly understanding. Like 99% of people have responded by saying, you know, like you've handled this really well. You know, it sucks we can't get in, but we're thankful. So what we're going to do is there's about 7,500 people who didn't get a piece that bought one. So that group of people, um, we're looking to figure out exactly logistically how to do this. But I'm going to make sure that they all get a piece of me at no markup, mm -hmm. possibly in one-off events, the World Series, Super High Roller Bowl, mm -hmm. you know, events in the ne or even next year's World Series. They're going to be priority, and I'm going to treat them like VIPs because, That's awesome. because you know, it's not their fault. It, I mean, I, it's not my fault, but I take full responsibility. You know what I mean by the difference? Yeah, like, of course, obviously, I'm responsible, and I'm going to do the responsible thing with what happened. I'm not a tech guy. I triple check with everyone. They said everything's going to work fine. Turned out that's not the case. But I feel like uh, all we can do now is honor the people that got in under the cap. Everyone else gets a full refund, which all the refunds have been paid back already within a day, which is kind of unprecedented. I don't know that they've all hit people's bank accounts yet because sometimes there's like a four or five day hold, but mm -hmm. they've all been issued. So everyone will get them within five to 10 days. In addition to that, like I said, I'm going to give these people like probably the first 50 K, mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, the, the big one. Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to leave like about another, I'm going to add another 10%. So that's 10 K that, you know, those people can buy from and only those people right. until I'm, I've satisfied, you know, all of them to the point where they feel like, you know, they got a piece. But it kind of sucks now because a lot of people who bought in to my package and were going to be rooting for me, now they're kind of anti-rooting because, right. like, you know, Listen, if I do well, they're looking at their investment that could have been something and, and they, you know, they, they missed out on it. I've always said, you know, you know, Daniel might be opinionated, hard-headed sometimes, but he's got a fucking heart of gold and he wanted to do good things for, you know, sometimes, you know, you try to do good things for the poker community, for people and things don't go your way. I didn't, I knew you were giving out packs. How much exactly were you giving out to the public? Just for my list. So what I did tonight. was on the low roller package, which okay. adds up to about 150,000, okay. I gave out 10%. The well, mid stakes package, which was 10Ks, like 1,500, 10Ks, that was, 
I gave $250,000 of that, which was 25, oh, 25% of that. The high-stakes package is really only four events. It's above 10K in the total there. And I, I count all the re-entries in there, just assuming that we're taking them. Mm-hmm. So that was 400000 I sold 50% of that, right? So wow. that ends up being about 275000 total. And as I said, within, like people got in at 1201 and it was too late. Wow. Because they'd already sold, you know? So, so uh, it was, you know, kind of a, I was at the gym when I found out and I just, like I, I lost my shit. I was so upset, um, you know, and then we just had to go into like crisis mode and go, okay, well, how do we handle it now? Right. It's like, that's the thing about, you know, you talk about responsibility and I appreciate you starting the call by saying you take hundred percent responsibility yes. because I live in a way that I like to live from there, from right. responsibility. It doesn't mean, you know, it's my fault or not my fault, but I'm responsible for how I react to it. 100%. And I feel like, uh, we're doing everything above and beyond what we can to make sure that, you know, everyone that's pissed off, um, you know, get some sort of uh, retribution in some way. Well, that's a, you know, great piece you just said, because like, I'll, I'll, I'll read off people's stuff that questions that they asked you. So one of the questions somebody said was, why did he not go to a solid company to run his staking program? I'm like, uh, duh, he probably did, <laughs> you know, well, we happen. With Stripe, which yeah. is a payment processor that, you know, it's very, you know, it's a right. well-known established company. It's been around for a long time. Um, and I guess apparently the first time we did it, they, the bandwidth wasn't big enough, so they made the adjustment. But apparently when the new server was built, there was some sort of a glitch that no one could see within that time frame so that, you know, the uh, it didn't stop people. At, well, essentially what happens is this. So let's say you bought in at 12, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't get processed and printed for like 10 minutes. Right. Apparently. This is what I found out after. Like it could be up to 10 minutes. So while people are buying and buying and buying and buying and buying, they're continuing to buy something that doesn't exist anymore, right? Because mm-hmm. it's already been, you know, capped out. So, so there was like a software glitch that didn't properly handle it so that when we were sold out, everybody, you know, wasn't allowed to buy. And I was a little wondering. I'm like, really? Oh, 30 minutes seems insane. Like, that's pretty cool that it, it, it you know, sold out in that fast. But it actually was freaking three minutes. You know, like within three minutes, people sold that package. And we pulled in like $1.8 million. And I don't want to get political, but like, and I'm not, but like Bernie Sanders' campaign manager, he tweeted out. He tweeted out because he saw this. He said this might have been the most like amazing financial raise in history, like on yeah. a social media platform like that. Did so? You ended up getting stuck paying like what sixty, seventy thousand in fees, or no? So the deal is, you know, obviously these people need to get refunded. I was obviously I didn't know whether or not the company would cover it or not. I was under the impression that they wouldn't. And I said I would cover if need be. I believe that we're going to be okay because we got the refunds back quick enough because they have a rule and there's like a, a rule, or, you know, there's a certain number of hours that I think a return can be made without any um, uh, repercussions. Having said that, there are some that I'm likely going to have to cover that deal with like currencies. So if somebody say, for example, bought in from Australia or whatever, mm-hmm. they might get, double screwed on the convert on you know the currency conversion but i have a team of people looking at it and let's you know at this point like all we can do is deal with each each person one-on-one and try to you know make sure that everyone feels like they've been taken care of that's awesome man it's like you know i I, i'm struggling you know that and i put out you know i put my 10ks up with pretty decent mark i well the only ones i really put big mark up on were the Omaha, the 10K08 and the 10K PLO8. The rest, I think I put at 1.3 or 1.2. But, um, so what but did the, you put on those ones? But because, because I put 1.5, what, I, what? I, I thought that I'm in 08, I'm, I deserve a 25% free roll. I mean, you don't have to think so, but I've made 17 08 final tables since Well, I'll tell you what, Mike, I actually, Mike, I, first of all, I agree. Mm-hmm. That you're you're very likely to be worth it, and and you know you you and I are on the same side of this, right? I believe, like I believe in capitalism, absolutely. I, I believe in capitalism, whether it's a company, correct? You know, a person charging markup, or it's a company deciding what pricing they're going to use in terms of rake or refunds or or no rewards or whatever the case may be. So, like, I don't think 1.5 is out of line for you in the Omaha at all. No. Having said that, if people are willing to pay 2.5 and you're selling at 1.5, I see that as well to some degree. Not, I wouldn't say a mistake. But selling yourself short, I use the analogy like right. if you have a product, right? And you, you know, if you sell hamburgers at five bucks, mm-hmm. but everybody would pay ten, and you wouldn't lose a customer. Well, you're not maximizing your profit in this case, right? And you're you're working, you're actually working, you're doing a job, and 
you know, you're providing opportunities. Obviously, there's some egregious cases where right. people like try to way overcharge and things like that. And it's nothing wrong with pointing that out. But I'm a big believer in free market. And if Absolutely. people are willing to pay it, then that's what the fair price is supposed to be. It's like shocking to me. I mean, I get it. Listen, you can look at Helmut selling a 1.8 in a hyper turbo right. and think that maybe, you know, but I promise you this, and you know Phil just as well as I do, right. he 100% believes that he's worth that. Oh, like, absolutely. He's not scamming people. He's not telling people, like, he thinks they're getting a good deal. Like, obviously, we can do some math and show that it's probably not at 1.8. <laughs> well, Phil's right? still, Phil, we know that. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't matter. The point is, like, he thinks he's doing great. And I don't have a problem with, quote, unquote, market police, like, educating people on saying, you know, this is probably too much or too little. The, the issue I have where it crosses the line is where you're questioning, you're calling these people scammers and thieves right. and bad people. Brian, like Brian Rast article was amazing. Did you read Brian Rast's yeah. article? Of course. He, that, that, was, he was echoing a lot of the same things that I was saying on right. Twitter and on my podcast, which is that, you know, like a guy like Johnny Vibes, you know, there's other things to factor in. He's an entertainer. Right. He's doing YouTube videos for free. People are, he's doing this for free. People get a chance to follow along. You know, you could theoretically say that, you know, he deserves a little bit extra markup in that if, for the people that want the sweat throughout the summer, right? And that, besides that, I don't think Johnny Vibes I yeah, thought that 1.38 was too much. And I don't think it is, actually. I think no. 1.38 is pretty... What do they think is fair? Like, 1.32? Right. Like, he's not like... It's not like, you know, he's way out of line with 1.38. It's pretty reasonable, I think, for, you know, a package of a lot of small buy-in, no-limit holding tournaments, regardless of his stats. The guy's, like, you know, he's a cash game player. You know it. Cash right. game players are just better. So, if he yeah. can beat 5'10 regularly or whatever... He's probably plus EV in almost every tournament that he plays. Well, yeah, well, no with, with how deep the stacks are now, it's like playing cash games, so I agree with you. You know, but I, I also tell people— And then people, the other thing, too. Hold on. The other guy. Uh, been shaming Alan Kessler. Okay, listen. We know. know Alan. We know Alan's a quirky, weird dude, right? We know that. He's going to be in my video. Gets, it's going to be great. He loves poker. He loves poker. He just wants to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. He's always asking me about the 25K fantasy. I mean, the guy's selling at 1.05. What the fuck mm -hmm. do you want him to sell for? I, I mean, 1.05, like, what, what, how can you shit on a guy and embarrass him like that? That's disgusting. bullying, and it's like, it's mean, because, you know, maybe Allen isn't as good as, you know, some of the top players, right? But he but doesn't give anything away. Yeah. What? He, he doesn't give anything away. I, just, you know? I don't like the characterization I agree. that people selling at markup are scamming, because that's agree. completely out of line, unless they actually are, which means to say, if you oversell like we almost did right here and then just bust every turn. You mean like, I could have done that. Like you know? TJ used like I to could do. Have literally, like, <laughs> I could have pocketed, I could pocket over a million profit by not telling anyone what happened with the servers. And I pull in 1.8 million. I could spend six, 700,000 buy-ins and go, oops, we whipped the series this year. Just hashtag just bad luck. Right. and make a yeah. million dollars. Of course. Right? That, now that's a scam. That's, but that's a scam. not something that we would ever do. Absolutely. And, you know, I kind of compared it a little bit to like, okay, um, you go to a Golden Knights game and you want front row tickets to, for the playoffs. It's $2,000. Oh, but they're selling it on the flash seats for $4,000. Um, you pay $4,000 because you got that money. Are you getting robbed because you're paying $4,000 for that seat? No, you're paying what you're willing to pay for good oh, seats. I got another example. I go to the games. You know where I sit. I think yes. section six there. They've made a rule now, like, you know, they have Stoli's a sponsor, and I like Tito's. So I have a double Tito's with a splash of pineapple and water. It cost me one fucking drink. It cost me $44. <laughs> because they mark up the Tito's. But I'm the sucker idiot that's willing to pay $44. Like, I can laugh about it, you know, but, like, listen, most people are just going to get the Stoli. But for right. those people that want the Tito's and they're willing to be suckers and pay the extra, pay 22 bucks a shot, you know, that's there for you. And I don't feel like we should live in a society and this is where we have some agreements politically yeah, it's like absolutely. i don't believe we need to live in a society where we babysit people for making mistakes like well, that, i come from the world like you where you know hustling was a thing you know you guys mm -hmm. hustled at golf they hustled to get in poker games and this was just part of the deal mm -hmm. right it was like what amarillo slim used to say it's a sin to let it you know not keep let a sucker keep his money or something like that yeah now um so I'm the sucker when I'm paying 44 bucks of Tito's, but you know I'm aware of it and well, I'm that, okay with it. A lot of people that overbuy or overpay for you know pieces on say Allen or whatever they're doing it, they know what they're doing. You know some may not, and for those I have no problem educating them. Just don't paint these people that are selling as you know scammers or bad people because that's I where I come to the defense. And even yeah. like the uh, like the horse, whatever I'm selling at 1.3 or the 
whatever. That's only 15, like selling half at one point. That's 15%. Like, what do they want people to like, like work for free, you know? And, and people like to sweat. Mike Matisseau, Phil Hamuth, Daniel Negreanu, um, Phil Ivey. I mean, say, no matter what anybody says, okay, we had a great personality. We made poker fun when before the, before the poker boom. You, yeah, you could go to poker shares and buy uh, any player you want, but it's not the same as actually I have an actual piece of Daniel Legrano. I have an actual piece of Mike Matisso. And they get to like sweat all these tournaments and most of them are putting up like $75, $150. It's not like they're putting up that much for what they're this is like a $20 like markup basically. And they act like like the world was coming to an end. It's just Yeah, and you don't hear the here's the biggest problem, right? So you have people, markup police, whatever you want to call them. Making Marketplace. these blanket statements this is that this is a scam or this is not the right price. Mm. Here's the problem. There is zero way. It is impossible. Impossible. Not, not hard. Impossible mm-hmm. to prove what a player's equity is in any tournament because past results do not dictate future results. Exactly. You know, you don't know what the field's going to be. So, like, you know, let's say the 10K Omaha 8, right? Mm-hmm. You're selling at 1.5. I think that's fair. Mm-hmm. But you know what we don't know? Well, what if only 20 people show up? Right. <laughs> you know, and it's all 20 of the toughest. Right. It's no longer 1.5, right? right? Or maybe, you know what might happen? There might be 400 people, and all of a sudden it's a bunch of idiots, and 1.5 is a steal. Right. There's no way to know, so it's all up to the buyer to say, you know what? It's worth it to me. I see value in it. I, I want to do this. I like watching Mike Matiso. I want a piece of Mike Matiso. I'm willing to pay 1.5 for it. Right. Now, that's, that's a personal choice that we, there's no evidence we can, that we can use to say, Certainly, it is a plus or minus. Idea. Obviously, you know, there's extremes. Like if you sold it, you know, 5.0 to the 10K Omaha, that's mm-hmm. like, come on, bro. Right. But like 1.5, that's, that's within reason for a tournament <laughs> that you've had so much success in. Even Jonathan Little says, 1.5 for you in the 10K 08, I'm buying a piece. You know what I'm saying? That's well, I mean, you beat me in one, and I'm, I'll never yeah. live it down. So. I, oh, that was my, my greatest moment. I used to tell everybody, they used to say, what's your greatest poker accomplishment? I said, beating Daniel Negreanu head up for the Omaha Championship in 2002. And it wasn't just beating you, you know, because we were best friends. It was the fucking dinner afterwards, the needling, the fun we had. Buddy, I was drinking... I thought I was already when I got heads up with you. I I already started... I was drinking Coronas. I know. The the (laughs) funny part... up to that for like about two weeks, we'd played head up sometimes, Mm -hmm. and I was doing good. So I figured, Mm -hmm. ah, it's just like that. And then all of a sudden in the tournament, you ran a couple good bluffs, you came back from like a short stack, and all, all right. of a sudden, before I knew it, I was dusted. But no, the, I always said it was my greatest poker constant because, you know, I talked about it with you and stuff, is I was detoxing from crystal meth. And the night before, I was like the whole day, because uh, back then it was two-day tournament, one day, and then with final table the next. And I remember I said, no, I'm gonna, I'm the best Omaha player. I'm going to win this with no drugs, no nothing. And I remember Billy Gazes and Matt Lefkowitz are like, come on, Mike, you can make it through. Like 8 o'clock at night, I'm like, I was suicidal as can be. I'm like, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. And it was like, uh, no, and they like fucking somehow got me through to the final table and where – I was that wasn't suicidal the next day, but no, that was uh, that was a lot of that was fun, and I uh, you know I remember you know I remember the the tournament so well, and I remember us going all of us going across the street and eating dinner, and uh, your mom was there, my mom, and and it was like uh, it was just it's like nothing. You know what the ten Ks now remind me of how the whole World Series used to be. Like it's like a family yeah. affair where the whole world I say the same thing because when I started the World Series, like you said, it was one tournament. That's it at noon. It's about eight, and you got to buy in by noon. And the tournament's over tomorrow, and there's another one the next day. Right. But uh, you know, it was a small group of people. You knew everybody. You know, and now you go to the World Series, and listen, it's just different. There's like that. I walk sometimes like through tables of tables of like fifty, six tables. I don't recognize a single person. Right. You know where it's. At the World Series before, it would be rare to not recognize a single person at your table. You knew right. them all. Not only did you know them all, but you knew how they all played. I mean, it was like, oh, I got this guy at the table. Oh, I know when he bluffs. I know what he does. You know, it's like. We all knew how they played basically bad. 
Right. <laughs> <For the most laughs> part. right. You know, I tell people the story all the time about even in 2001 when you got 11th in the main event. I'm like, there was like six or seven of us that that understood No Limit Hold'em. We were like way miles ahead of everybody else's time. And, you know, Helmut, I remember checking on you, how you were doing. And I'll never forget the fucking hand you went broke. The fucking guy called all his chips with two sixes, I think it was, right? Yep. yep. You remember it well. And then you busted me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You had the you were you were like super short and I ended up busting you. I I felt so terrible because I wanted you to be at that final table with us so bad. You know, that was that was a really stacked final table too. You had Dewey Tomko, Carlos Mortensen, Helmuth, me, um, Phil Gordon, uh uh, it was it was pretty tough back for for that time of of, of poker. Yeah, it was I'm gonna tell so because people people are gonna wonder like I'm gonna give people an example of what poker was like back then and they're gonna laugh because I yeah. remember the hand where you know the ace king hand where mm-hmm. against Henry mm-hmm. and so the blinds were five and ten thousand. Carlos Mortensen and me have like a ton of chips and this guy Henry's all, you know middle stack and so he opens the thirty five thousand so that's three point five x that was normal back then so right. now this guy Henry. For middle position makes it 150, 150,000. Okay, right. Because that's the sizing. That's because now nowadays you see people do like 22, 52. Right. It's, this is like 35, 150. So I'm in the big blind with Ace King. I haven't had aces the entire tournament. I'm super excited to have a hand. Right. And so you I know, you know like, by his sizing that he's probably got a middle pair too. Because back then the the he wouldn't have aces or kings. I knew that right. because you know he would have raised smaller for sure. Right. But so he makes it 150, and I make it 350. The reason is, if Carlos moves in behind me, because he's like really close, I'm going to put in the 350 and fold if Carlos moves in. Right. Right? Carlos has pocket nines. He folds smartly. Right? And this guy, Henry, decides, you know, he's got 150 in. He decides to ship in like, you know, his whole 700K or something like that with the sixes. And I have, now I have no choice but to call. And uh, the flop comes jack 10. So I've got, you know, all the outs. Ex- and explain to the out listeners what, like, Pocket small pocket pairs you never would call a three back in the days. It's like if somebody well, three I mean, bet. Was, if people yeah. today, if any pro today hears that hand history, they're gonna be like, "Wow, standard!" Like everybody, you know. Right. Because honestly, if I would, if I could go back to two thousand one mm-hmm. and play that same hand again, you know what I would do? I would just fold. I would just fold the ace king because there's no point. I could chip away because players were much weaker back then, and my right. game was good. I didn't even need to take the risk, as it turns out. Like that's mm-hmm. something that I would have done differently today and not expect a guy to like lay down that you know but that's you know, the thing you know i was young probably I'm, wasn't ready i'm to glad you think that and, way uh, because you learn it's it's kind of like how i still think and and it's one of the things i'm trying to work in my game i'm actually working with uh jonathan little who's amazing math about He's explaining all. Like, ah, so all, you're learning about blockers. This is that's why <laughs> that's why my video was so awesome because like I had this. I said, you know what? I'm gonna make fun of myself, right? And I'm gonna make make it look like, oh, I read this book and I and I learned so much. And of course, blockers had nothing to do with the hand we played, but it, it was just so funny. And um, so I remember my, the first time I talked to you about trying to explain blockers to you, and I gave this example. I was up all like, night, Fuck too. That. <laughs> Fuck that. I'll just, I'll just look at their face. And I was like, I was, I was trying to do an example like this. If you have two queens, I remember I told you. I remember. And you're, you know your opponent has either ace-king, aces, or kings, right? How many combos of ace-king does he have? You know it? How many combos of ace-king can he have if I have queens? Well, again, you, I've been up all night. <laughs> so you got oh, me. my God. You got me again when I've been up all night. But we're going to well, work through this one because you're going to get this, right? Okay. So we're gonna, we're let's do, I'm gonna Let me focus. Everybody, I'm focusing. Everybody, shh, go right. ahead. How many aces are in the deck? Four. All right. How many kings are in the deck? Four. Okay. So if you have the ace of spades, it could go with one of any of those four kings, right? So that's four. If you have the ace of hearts, you can go with any one of those kings. That's four. You do that four times, what do you get? Hello? Yeah, I'm thinking 32. <laughs> oh, my God. Man. 16, okay? 16? Oh, I so thought you, you said four, four, four times. I thought you, you said four, four times four in that case. Okay, gotcha. So 16 combos of ace-king, right? Okay. Now, now let's do this one's a little – well, now how many combinations of aces are there? Uh, uh, four. Two, Six. two, two, two. Six. 
Six, <laughs> Mike. Dude, look, listen. Look, look, look. Uh, we're going to get this on, when I'm mopping up all night. Go, go ahead. Okay, I love it. Uh, this is so good. People are going to laugh at you, but it's They're going to laugh at me. So it's all good. Spades, but look, the ace of spades can go with one of the other three aces. That's three combos, right? Okay. Now we get rid of the ace right. of spades. We go the ace of hearts can go with one of two. That's two more. And then that leaves one more combo of the other two aces. So that's six combos of aces. Okay. So the yeah. point of this was, uh, and I did this in my master class, so that's why I was doing it with you. Mm -hmm. Six combos of aces. Six combos of king. So if you had queen, right, and you know your opponent has ace-king or aces or king, and he goes all in, what should you do with queen? <laughs> Call? Well, 16 times you're going to be in a flip, right? right. Oh, six, okay, six, I see. 16 times you're going to be in a flip. 12 times you're dead. Right. What okay. do you do? Well, you, well if you're, you, you take the math and you call do you you think that's a good call well no oh well i like to play risk-free no limit i try well, let me, and... let's just forget about like what we like to do and what we like to exploit okay. let's just look at how it works right 12 times 12 times you're going to be dead oh right? tw 12 the other and... 16 you're going to win eight so oh, you're, you're going to lose half of the ones when you're ahead right about eight and then the other ones you're losing you're going to lose four out of five of those gotcha you're going to lose eight of the so, you, so overall you're going to win, like, you're, you're, I mean, overall, especially in the tournament, of course, you know, that's a situation where if you knew that was the opponent's range, then you would know it's a fold. Now, the reason this is valuable to learn, and I was trying to go over with you a little right. while ago, is that most of the poker players today, mm -hmm. when they make decisions, mm -hmm. they factor in combos, and then they count them. They right. count, okay, how many combos have me beat? How many combos do I beat? So let's say you're in a decision on the river mm -hmm. where the guy bets pot, and you look at, okay, so if he has it, he's got, you know, these hands, and, and that's like maybe 30 combos, but he's got 200 bluff combos, like a lot of bluff combos, and he bet pot. Well, in that case, if you just did the math, you go, okay, he's got more bluff combos than he does value combos, so I have to call. Mm -hmm. Now, that's without the reads, or that's without looking him in the face, but the good news for you, Mike, is because you're good at reads, mm -hmm. you can take this information and go, well, I should, I should be calling here because he's got way more bluff, mm -hmm. but I can see him. And he's way strong. So I'm right. going to deviate from what the game theory optimal play is, and I'm going to just exploit and use my reading instincts. But and, it helps to know. Like, if you play online, this is probably why you suck balls online. Right. And this is what me and Jonathan Little talk because about. You didn't know how to do any of this, and that's all you got. You can't right. look at people. There's no tells. Yeah. There's, and, there's and, timing tells. And people had HUDs tells, and all this stuff, and I didn't even have a HUD. I didn't have anything. You know, I, I kept thinking, how, how are they calling me? I'm like they must see my cards, and me and Jonathan Little they're talk playing about math, this. and you're they're, they're playing math, and you're playing like let me look at the guy. <laughs> you can't look at the guy. <laughs> it's a computer. It's no true. You smashed all your computers and threw the. You, I, this is a true story. I remember you took a fucking laptop and you didn't have your pool was being renovated because it was empty, and you took the laptop. And I threw it in, it in the, the pool. pool. I said, and I bought. And that and was of course, I bought a new one next. That was day. the best decision you'd made the entire year. But I bought a new one the next the day like an idiot. <laughs> but you know what's great listen i really want you to listen to episode seven with jonathan little everything you're telling me right now made sense when he told me and for some reason when you're telling me well it's probably because we had the discussion when i wasn't up all night and that's probably why but like we I'm sure all that's what it is we talked about the fact like and we talked. I talked about you. I, I actually on on the podcast. I said I consider Daniel one of the top five card readers I'd ever seen. You know, and what people as much as people like to rip on Phil, Phil might is probably might be. He's definitely top probably three card readers ever. But and that covers up for all the other mistakes that he makes. And that's what the young kids don't see about Phil. And you you do see a lot of of that. But you you also know that if Phil. Uh, was it so egotistical and he listened to what we're actually talking about right now, which I, like I told Jonathan, I want to learn. He's actually going to teach me. I'm going to teach him mixed games, Omaha 8. And he's like, you got it, deal. <laughs> so, you know, we're going to work on this because now that I'm healthy and I'm out of pain, you know, I used to be fucking top five no limit players in the world i'm like fuck these motherfuckers i'm i'm ready i'm ready to go go at them you know i saw how good i played in la and that's me not knowing shit you know 
So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm really hungry for this. It's like something I want. And uh, it's kind of like with this podcast. I, You know me. I love to talk. This is, this is me. No, you? This is really me being myself. And, and one of the things about my podcast that everybody likes is the fact they said, they, uh, people, you're so genuine, which I am. You know, I'm, I don't hold things back. I mean, there's... there's you know what I've people. always told people? And you can handle this because you're, you know, we're friends. Right. Like, then Mike's too dumb to be a scammer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're, but you're so honest. You're so honest. You tell the truth, even when it's to your own demise, for the most part. That, like, yeah. you know, and you, the, you're what, just you're 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 too dumb to have evil intent. The mouthpiece. I hope you enjoyed our segment part one with Real Kid Poker Daniel Negreanu. Tune in tomorrow for part two. We're putting both parts up this week with poker legend, Hall of Famer, Mr. Daniel Negron. See you tomorrow.